This morning, we're going to address a topic in this deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount that we're doing that, uh, quite honestly, couldn't be more pertinent to the world that we're living in. As you, as you were with us last week, we, we put this context together of understanding where Jesus was and to whom he was speaking when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. And that what he was doing when he was opening his mouth to tell them that they were blessed when they were poor in spirit, when they were meek, when they hungered and thirst for righteousness, was he was actually describing who they were. He wasn't giving an entrance exam. He he wasn't giving them a prerequisite to being spiritual. Uh, He was actually describing the life they were living. And he was doing a flip, a 180 degree flip from the way most people in their world thought about being blessed. Because most people in the world thought that in order to be blessed, you had to be Jewish, you had to be male. The signs of God's blessing were that you were healthy, that you were religiously pure, and that you were wealthy. And and Jesus looks out at this crowd of people who who were not any of those things except Jewish, and, and some of them were male, but there were women and children mixed into the group. And, and so he basically said, no, you guys have a wrong idea about being blessed. And he said, the real blessing is that I'm with you, that God is with you. And the conditions of your life, those do not determine your blessing. What determines your blessing is the presence of God in your life. And then, then Jesus does something just, just outlandish. He looks at these people gathered on the side of the mountain people who had been broken and wounded and hurt. And he looks at them, and not only does he tell them that they are blessed, but he takes it one step further. He says, you know what? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the earth. In you, God is going to reveal what he wants to tell all the people of the world. And if you lose your saltiness, then you're no longer any good to taste. And if, and if, you, lose, if you lose the light, then the world is destined for darkness. And, and so what Jesus wants them to understand is that not only is he coming to, to flip the script, but he's also coming to empower them. And this morning, the reason I believe this is so pertinent is because we are, we're coming up in a few weeks on the two-year anniversary of a global flip the script, of, of a global pandemic in which all the rules have changed. And what, what I believe is God's heart for his church, God's heart for his people, God's heart for the world, is that we discover what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount to the people who were gathered there because the message is the same for us today. And so Jesus looks at him and says, now, if you're going to be the salt, if you're going to be the light, you have to understand something. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. I didn't come to abolish all the things that you learned about God. What I came to do was to fulfill them, to basically say, look, it's not enough to just do the external stuff. There has to be an internal change in you. And so he he uses this phrase. He says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. 
And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna look at some of those places where Jesus says, you've heard it said that following God is like this, but I'm here to tell you that following God is like this. And the place where Jesus starts is the most amazing place. I mean, when you look at it, there are so many places he could start to say, hey, look, if you're gonna be the salt and light of the earth, do it this way. If you're gonna live in a world where the kingdom of God is evident and near and close and you're a part of the people of God and you're making a difference in the world around you, do it this way. But he chooses to start in the, in the place that is, quite honestly, the hardest for some of us to gasp. He says this, look at Matthew chapter five, verse 21. You have heard it said, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, the word there is racha, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you because you've done something to them, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to them in court, or while you are going with them to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus starts the flip by talking about anger, talking about murder, and saying that, that to be angry with someone is to be a murderer. Now, when we hear that, we're like, no, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, thought, I thought it was okay. I mean, didn't Jesus get angry at the people in the temple who were doing the money exchange that was keeping people from worshiping? I mean, didn't, didn't, Jesus, didn't Jesus get angry when he saw people who were being treated unfairly? What do you mean, Jesus, that, that if you're angry with somebody, it's, it's worse than actually killing them? Oh, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? Well, here's what I think the rest of the Bible lets us see. See, anger... Anger is an emotion that, that changes us from the inside. And Jesus picks murder and anger because if you remember in the Old Testament, which he's come to fulfill, do, do you remember? I mean, not, not the Adam and Eve sin where she took what she had been told not to eat and ate it and where he followed suit and they rebelled against God out of their own desire to be like God. But, but do you remember what the, the next sin is in the book of Genesis? 
it was when two brothers, Cain and Abel, brought their sacrifices to God. And when they brought them to God, one was better than the other because it came out of the right heart. It came out of a heart of openness rather than a heart of legalism. And do you remember that Cain murdered his brother out of what was in his heart? And so Jesus starts this flip of the script with perhaps the most important piece of understanding we'll ever be able to pick up if we're the people of God. And that is that our relationships, our attitudes, the things that we think and feel deep inside, those things are just as important, if not more important, than the things we do. Because they are actually impactful in our life. How you think about somebody, how you feel about somebody, it, it makes a difference. Yes, when you, when you see injustice, there's going to be anger well up within you. When, when you see someone being mistreated, it should make you angry. But that's not the anger that Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about here is the anger that grows up from inside of you because you feel, you feel as if you can't match or measure up. You feel insecure. You feel as if someone is, someone is, is going to think less of you and your insecurity just, just feeds and so your anger and, and you begin to project that anger onto them. And, and what Jesus is saying is, look, when you start treating people in that fashion, you stop treating them as people who were created in the image of God just like you were. And your attitudes, your attitudes toward others are, are attitudes that will determine how you actually act. When I was a college student, actually through high school and college, um, I was, I, I, I utilized this aggressive game called football to take out all of my frustration and anger. It was, a, it was a place where it was permissible to hit people. It, it was a place where it was applauded if you hit them really, really well. Now I have two brothers. It was never permissible in our house for me to hit them. I'm not telling you I didn't hit them. I'm just telling you I got in trouble every time I hit them. And, and when I found this place in the world where people would say, Carrie, it's okay, let your aggression out. It was like, wow, I have found nirvana. This is good. And then, as a senior in college, my football days ended. And college kept going, because football was in the fall. And then, this girl that I was dating, that I liked a lot, 
that I ultimately married, who's sitting in the room, agreed to go sing a duet at a church on a Sunday night with a guy, not me. And I was angry. And football was over. And there was no more permissible place for me to take out my aggression. So I did what any psychology major would do. I sat down and tried to figure out how I could do this and release the anger. I came up with a wonderful solution. I would throw my shoes against the wall as hard as I could because I couldn't do any damage to the wall. It was concrete. And if you'd seen my shoes, you knew I couldn't do any damage to them either. And so cleats, and oh, it was the 70s. These were platform shoes. I'm 6'2 in platforms, by the way. And, and I, I, I remember going in my dorm room and just, just throwing things against the wall because I'd learned in psychology about this thing called aggression therapy. And so, man, I didn't need a pillow to pound. I'm, I'm throwing shoes against the wall. And it's this sound, this thumping, this thumping. And then they're all out in the room. And I went, oh, I'm still aggressive. So I turned and I started pounding them back into the closet, which was wooden and made a noise, loud noise. And it was thumping and thumping. And I'm, I mean, I'm just taking out the aggression and it's just, it's resounding down the dormitory hallway. When suddenly this guy, I don't really know who the guy was. I only saw him for a split second. He, he, he heard the thumping. He didn't know what was going on. So he stuck his head to say, hey, what's going? And that's all I ever heard. Because the guy who lived in the room across the hall, who was a good friend of mine for my entire college career, we played basketball together my freshman year. He was 6'9". And he knew I was ticked. He didn't know what I was ticked about. He just knew when Carrie was ticked, you didn't get in the way. And so as I'm throwing shoes back into the closet, it's thumping, it's loud, I'm feeling good. This guy sticks his head in, says, what's going? And my 6'9 friend grabbed him with both hands on the shoulder, yanked him out of the room. Get out of there, you fool. He'll kill you. It was so, I mean, seriously, he yanked him in his feet or the last thing that went out the door, you know. I, I tell you that because the guy my wife sang a duet with, he's a church of God pastor. We're friends now. I'm so glad I didn't hit him with the shoes or anything else. And I have to tell you, I learned a lesson that I've been trying to continue to learn. And it's a lesson I think our world has to learn because guys, in this massive cultural shift we're going through, the anger levels are just so high. I mean, when the New York Times is doing articles on why are people so angry, we've, we've hit an all-time high. And the reality is, if we're gonna be the people of God, living in the kingdom of God, there is not a better time for us to discover 
and understand what Jesus was talking about when he said, you know, you've heard it said that unless you kill somebody, you're okay. But I'm telling you that if in your heart you're so angry at them that you would kill them if you could, that's just as bad as killing them. And you need, you need to find a way through that. That's why he wrote these words. You've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults the brother or sister will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, Raka, will be liable to the hell fire. What, what Jesus is saying is this, look, Inside of you are all of these emotions. God gave them to you. And God made you in his image. And so yes, injustice and things that should make you angry, they will make you angry. And that's not bad. But when you begin to demonize the other person, when you begin to project onto the other person, when you begin to denigrate the other person and not recognize that they are indeed created in the image of God just like you are, even if they're running from Jesus, even if they're in full-fledged rebellion, or even if they're just clueless about what they're doing, they are still made in the image of God. And the key to reconciliation, the key to unity on the earth, the key to people learning how to just get along is for people to begin to recognize you're not the only one created in the image of God. Every person who breathes on the planet is God's child. Some of us live in relationship to him through Jesus Christ. Others live in rebellion against him. And some wander around lost. But the only way we're ever going to teach the world, the only way we're ever going to convince the world, the only way we're ever going to be the people of God and let people know that God is for them is for us to understand that our attitudes are as impactful as our actions. And reconciliation begins when we reconcile with ourselves. Because reconciliation with ourself opens the door to relationship with God and others. You see, Jesus is looking at people who were oppressed. Jesus is talking to the people who were the outcasts. Jesus is not talking to the rich and powerful. He's talking to the people who've been oppressed by the rich and powerful. He's not talking to the religiously pure. He's talking to the people who don't fit with the religiously poor. He's talking to the people who've been searching and wondering, am I really of value? Do I really matter? And he starts the entire conversation after letting them know, yes, you do matter. You are blessed. You're salt. You're light. And I've come to let you know what those things you've learned really mean. And what it really means is that you have to be reconciled with you. And when you're reconciled with you, then you become reconciled with God and you become reconciled with other people. And so he makes this statement. He says, listen, well, look at it. When, 
when you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that someone has something against you. Now, in the language there, you've got to understand what he's saying. When, when, you're, when you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother, your sister, someone has something against you, what that means is something that you've done to them and you know it. You're not reconciled with them. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, your attitude about somebody else, whether or not you value them, see them, understand them as a creation from God through Jesus Christ who spoke the world into being, whether or not you value that other person translates into how you worship God. And it's impossible for you to be all right with God and not all right with somebody you've wronged. And so as much as it depends upon you, Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 12, live at peace with everyone. What's the key phrase? As much as it depends upon you. You see, you can't be responsible for what somebody else thinks about you. But what you can be responsible for is what you think about somebody else. And if we're living in a world so full of anger and so full of pain, we've got to understand that the source of the anger is not them, it's us. The, the source of the anger is not someone who did something to you. The source of the anger is your unresolved relationship because you offended someone else intentionally, unintentionally. And so if we're gonna live in a world full of angry people, and right now, my friend, you do. If you don't believe me, go to the grocery store <laughs> just before a snowstorm. <laughs> or drive your car in traffic. It always amazes me how many people have bumper stickers that say, honk if you love Jesus, and when you honk, they wave at you with one finger. That's just amazing to me. See, the reality is the anger levels are high and, and the source of the anger is not external. It's inside of us rather than outside of us. And so what Jesus is saying to the people gathered on the mountain and what Jesus is saying to you and me is, hey, listen, I understand. You were created with the ability to be angry at the right things. But when you're angry at the wrong things, it's not about those people. It's about your reaction to those people. How do you view them? How do you live in relationship with them? And what, what Jesus is saying is, you've heard it said, just don't kill them. But I'm telling you, value them. I'm telling you, don't carry a bad attitude about them. And I have to be honest with you, folks. That's one of the hardest things in the world for any of us to do. If, you, if you've been a leader at anything, 
you, you've been talked about. If you've been a leader anywhere, you've been, you've been misused and discouraged. You've been questioned. I've spent my entire adult life in leadership. I will never forget a, the very first church I pastored when I, quote, candidated, which is what they call in the church of God happening when the church votes whether they're going to let you be their pastor or not. There were 100 people who came that night to vote on whether or not I'd be their pastor. And 95 of them voted yes. And five of them voted no. I was so shocked that 95 voted yes. I said, yes, I'll be your pastor right away. I had absolutely no qualms with five people being against me because I can make five people mad when I get up in the morning. That's just not a problem. And, and, and so I was just like, yeah, okay, wonderful, man, let's go. And, and man, we jumped in with both feet and Becky and I moved down to Tennessee and God blessed that ministry. And five years later, after a Sunday service, this, this little lady in the church came walking up to me after the service, now five years later, to say, uh, Pastor, I'm sorry. I said, for what? I was one of the five people who didn't want you to be the pastor here. I said, really? Who are the other four? No, I know. I, I, really, I didn't. She said, but I was so wrong because, and she started listing the times in those five years when her daughter went through a divorce when her son was hurting and God used the ministry of that church to help them. And basically, I, I tell you my stories and her stories so you will hear God's story for you. The source of the anger is inside of you, not outside of you. So when you feel the anger rising, instead of, instead of attacking find the opportunity to assess what is going on in me. It, it's why the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, could get very angry at certain times at the right things, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, says this. Be angry, but sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. For if you do, you give the devil a foothold. My friends, God made you with the ability to have emotions. God made you with the ability to become angry at injustice, to become angry at the things that are wrong. And he also made you to be reconciled to him. So that when your anger is inappropriate, when your anger is misdirected, when you do the wrong thing with your anger, you can... Come to him, and he can heal you. Just like Jesus looked at the people on the mountainside and said, you know what? You've heard it said, but I'm saying to you, you are the salt. You are the light. Your attitude is as impactful as your actions. So 
Let me live inside of you. Let me make a difference in you. Let me show you the way. Because if you don't, if you continue to focus on the other instead of on yourself, if you continue to focus at somebody else, then you're headed for a place that's not good. Because you see, accountability for our attitudes is inevitable. It's going to happen. That's why he, he says, look, if somebody's accusing you of something and taking you to court, you need to come to terms quickly with them. Lest the accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge hand you over to the guard and, and the guard puts you in prison. Because I'm saying to you, you will never get out unless you paid the last penny. What's he mean? You will ultimately be held accountable for your attitudes as well as your actions. And if the people of God are going to be the people who can convince this world we're living in right now that God is for them, that Jesus loves them, that he died on a cross to save us. If you, if you don't believe that this morning, the only way I'm gonna be able to convince you of that is to do that in an attitude of grace and mercy and love and to see you as one of God's children, to value you as his daughter, as his son, so that together we can be reconciled to ourselves to God, to each other. And my friend, when we can do that, the anger quotient in the world will begin to go down if all of us are able to extend that kind of love and that kind of grace and that kind of mercy.